available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions, uh, recapping the final Pac-12 Bowl games. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online the UCLA site of the Scout.com network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout.com network. And we are the podcast of champions, bringing you the the final three bowl games, David, that didn't go quite as well as we thought they were going to go. Not the not the greatest finish for the Pac-12 after the new year. 2015, pretty good. 2016, not so good. Yeah, and not so good for my picks either. I think I got two of these wrong, and one of them I think we just tied on. Yeah. So that's that's not good, especially given given how well we started. This was uh, this was a pretty poor finish. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, the only one we got different was Stanford. I had Stanford. You had Iowa. So I got that that's, one right. That that looks pretty stupid right now. Yeah, that you know that doesn't, that doesn't look all that smart. That wasn't the greatest pick in the world from you, but I think no. I finished six two and two. It was pretty good. Um, and then you finished five, three, and two. I believe that's what the the final standings were. Hey, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll yeah, take both that. winning records. Oh yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, so yeah, so just this, this show we're gonna do a uh, recap of the last three games, and then we got some questions to get to. One of the questions that were brought up last week: the best and worst moments for all of the Pac-12 teams. So we got some of the scout experts to. Send us in their thoughts, and Dave and I will share our thoughts on USC, UCLA, and any teams that we had left out. And want to let people know if you want to uh, send a question into the show, the email address the best thing, pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet us. We've been active on the Twitters, uh, at pac12podcast. Our website, where we put up all the episodes, is pac12podcast.com, so it's a common theme there. And then the voicemails, which we love, uh, 641 715-3900, then it's extension 734-972. Of course, you can go to iTunes and subscribe there. We'd love that. Um, so lots of different ways to get a hold of us here on the Pac-12 podcast. Yeah, tons of different ways. We love to hear from all of you. More voicemails. I'm not going to threaten you this time, but more voicemails. We want to hear from you. And, you know, some of the screenplay pitches have been a little curtailed for time, but we're getting into the off season now. I mean, we we could listen to a five minute voicemail. There's no there's no telling what we'll do in the off season. We we definitely could, Dave. I don't I don't know if we want to encourage. That. I don't know if we will. I don't know if we will. I don't know if we're really encouraging it, but we're not. I I, I don't want to say we're discouraging it. Yeah. All right. So get yeah. on that voicemail line and give us a call. Um, yeah. Well, Dave, I think we should and go talk. wherever I'm go sorry. wherever it takes. You know, if it's if it's ten seconds, great. If it's you know a minute, that's fine. Yeah. Maybe don't five. Um, we should probably jump right in. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I guess so. Let's do it. Let's do. We'll do a little work here. That's why we're here. We're gonna do our Pac-12 roundup. Nice, nice little uh, sound effect there for the Pac-12. And the first game, which, um, like we said before, uh, Dave did not get it right. I got this one right. Uh, it was the Stanford Cardinal. And Iowa Hawkeyes in the Rose Bowl. So, uh, what do you yeah. think? 
What do you think, Dave? Um, I I was not right very early in this game. Um, Stanford ran out to a thirty-five nothing lead at halftime. Is that good? And I think that's pretty good. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. And I do mean ran out to it because Christian McCaffrey was the big story of this game. I think he had approximately a thousand yards in this one. Um, he was he was just uh, phenomenal. Iowa. I mean, it was just a different. It was like you know a, a JV, a really good like JV high school team went up against like you know St. John Bosco. <laughs> it was just like yeah, this isn't this isn't really fair in any real way. Um, you know, Stanford. You don't think of Stanford as being like outclassing other teams in terms of athleticism, but you could it was noticeable on the field. I mean, just a different kind of class of athletes just ran all over Iowa. Um, Chris McCaffrey, insane, insane day. Only 18 carries for 172 yards. Fool almost averaged 10 yards a carry. Wow. And that wasn't even the most impressive thing he did today. Uh, he had uh, four catches for 105 yards, had a punt return for a touchdown. I mean, he was just nuts in this game. Um, he pretty much single-handedly beat Iowa. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Kevin Hogan went out on a good boat, but they, I mean, they crushed the life out of Iowa, and they go into the – they're clearly the uh, the standard bearer of the conference right now, uh, the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, I think when we saw that game, it kind of felt good. And we'll talk about the other two Pac-12 games, Oregon and Arizona State. But you kind of felt good, like, yeah, this is a, this is going to be a pretty good year for the Pac-12. Even though the LA schools kind of dropped the ball, Pac-12 is going yeah. to finish strong. Obviously, it didn't happen. But, the, I mean, it was kind of one of those things. The first play of the game, sometimes you get like a big special teams play, like a, the underdog team returns a kick for a touchdown. They got all this excitement, and then the other team just kind of bowls them over. This It wasn't anything like that. It was just the team that was supposed to bowl them over did. 75-yard um, bomb to Christian McCaffrey. So they scored in 11 seconds, um, the fastest TD in Rose Bowl history, and it just kind of got worse from there if you can. I mean, I think it was 21 nothing, like 11 minutes in, and they had a pick six. And McCaffrey, like you said, went absolutely bananas. No one's ever had 100 yards receiving and 100 yards rushing in a Rose Bowl. He did that. The all-purpose yardage record he broke, 368 yards. And I guess the most important thing was after the game, everyone was talking about, yeah, he probably should have won the Heisman. So Larry Scott's probably scratching his head like, "Mm, maybe if we put Stanford on during the day a little bit more, this wouldn't have happened. Or maybe if we, you know, actually campaigned for him, you know, if if Stanford had maybe, you know, had a little bit more cohesion to their their Heisman campaign, I don't think it started until like the eighth or ninth game of the year. The Pac-12 should have been pushing it a long time before that. I mean, this 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 should have been a narrative that built rather than just, you know, entering November. Oh, yeah, there's Christian McCaffrey. It should have been something where he was talked about all year in context of the all purpose record, the whole thing. Um, and really educate people on why what he's doing is so impressive. Because, you know, it, it crystallized in that final game, I think, of the regular season where somebody said, yeah, okay, it's he broke Barry Sanders' record, but he did it in fewer touches, um, which is probably the most impressive thing because people talk about, oh, it's more games, but it was fewer touches. Yeah. Um, so all of that, very, very impressive. I think maybe one of the bigger takeaways from this one is Stanford, I think, really finally figured out its defense in this one. Um, Iowa had a pretty good running game, uh, a pretty good offense going into this one. I mean, it wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination. It was a Big Ten offense, but it was decent enough. 
And Stanford completely shut them down. Um, Iowa only ran for 48 yards on 38 carries. So I was clearly trying to, you know, establish the run, and Stanford wasn't having any of it. Um, you know, Stanford loses a little bit on defense next year, but I think by the end of the year they were kind of figuring out what they needed to do defensively, and that's a really good sign for that coaching staff going forward and I think for the general stability of that program. I don't think there's a program on stronger footing right now than Stanford. You're in and you're out. Their down years are eight win years, and that's that's such an impressive turnaround for Stanford from where it was ten years ago. Yeah, David Shaw, you got to give him a ton of credit. Look, I mean, we both thought, well, at least I did. I don't remember if you did. I mean, that they were going to take a step back. They didn't look good early in the I season. I had them at ten and two. I had them at ten and two. Okay, so you did. Um, I mean, I picked Oregon to win the the North, but I really felt Stanford was not going to be the same. All the guys had to replace it on defense, but I mean, he. Once it got it going, it's still you still scratch your head early in the season, like how they scored six points against uh, a not that great Northwestern team. But he got it going, and uh, that's I mean that's the class of the Pac-12 right now. So I think they're going to have to, you know, be the favorites again next year, even you know with Kevin Hogan being gone and some of the guys they'll lose on defense. But I, I think they're still going to have to be the the favorite next year. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can point to another team that has their just stability, their continuity year in and year out. They build up through the lines, which is the way you're supposed to build a team. And I, you know, I've got confidence in, you know, if, if it's Keller Christ and he comes in there and, you know, he has to manage games more, you know, Kevin Hogan wasn't some spectacular guy making crazy plays all the time. He just kind of managed games. And I think Keller Christ is more than capable of that. He was a, you know, very heralded prospect out of high school. So, um, I think they uh, they definitely have the best framework for consistent, you know, championship contending teams year in and year out. And, you know, right now, looking at, you know, every team in college football, I think, you know, if this was an eight team playoff, I don't think anybody would be wanting to play Stanford right now. I think they'd be they would be ecstatic to keep playing right now the way they're playing um, at this stage. Yeah. And uh, a lot of talk about, hey, you should have eight teams because you want a team like Stanford in there. Finished 12 and two, uh, nine and one overall in the conference um so nice job from david shaw and stanford then it kind of went downhill dave after that yeah it kind of did uh this is the so that was january 1st uh traditional then we have the not quite as traditional january uh second bowl oregon ducks taking on uh tcu in the alamo bowl again this was january 2nd yeah this was um this was like the perfect encapsulation of Oregon's season. I thought, like, if if you were a little confused watching the end of the year and like, how, wait, how did how did Oregon lose three games? This this game provided you the answer. When Vernon Adams goes down, Oregon is not just pedestrian, but actively a little bit putrid. Yeah. Um, Vernon Adams in the first half leads them to thirty-one nothing at halftime. Everyone's romping and roaring. Oregon's going to win. They're going to go into the offseason on a high note. We're going to look at Oregon and Stanford again next year. And then Vernon Adams goes down. Jeff Lockie comes in, and they don't score another point in regulation, <laughs> allowing TCU to tie it up. And then TCU uh, takes control in overtime, wins it by 6, 47-41. Um, I mean, that that's really the only story from this game. I mean, you know, their defense – wasn't good again in the second half, but for the first half, they mostly stymied TCU. And yeah, TCU was out without Trevon Boykin, who, as we talked about last week, punched a cop. Um, but you know, the, 
this was still, I, I think it was, you know, it was still kind of just the story of the season. Their defense faltered when it mattered the most. And without Vernon Adams, their offense isn't very good. Um, and I think, you know, they made some changes just in the last week. I think Don Pelham is moving down to uh, linebackers coach. So they're in the market for a new DC, uh, which I think is a good move for them. But um, life without Vernon Adams, I don't know if this uh, if this other FCS transfer they're com- that's coming in is going to be as good. But life without Vernon Adams, coming off the heels of life without Marcus Mariota, could be a, a rough one for Oregon. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, when you when you're going to recap this game, if you had to use the words Jeff Locke at some point. It probably yeah. wasn't going to be a good thing for Oregon, but the, to be to have that big of a drop off, and there was some, you know, you saw some stuff on Twitter. There was this guy who's like some handicapper in Vegas that was like, you know, sending a Jeff Lockie tweets that he should die and all this, just awful, awful stuff. Um, but people, I think people seriously were counting their winnings, and I was like, oh, good, we won this, you know, I won the Stanford game as far as the picks, oh, I won the Oregon game, this is pretty cool. And like, then you start seeing the second half. You're like, what? Is they actually gonna? Is the spread gonna? Are they gonna beat the spread? And then like, are they gonna lose this game? And and they did. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And I think that this Oregon defense though needs the offense to score. It's not really about time of possession. I just think they need some of the momentum you get when Oregon's able to blitzkrieg the other team and put some points up. And when that goes away. And they're going three and out, and they're going backwards and not doing anything. It just seems to take something out of that Oregon defense. You know, they can score in a minute and a half, or a minute or whatever, or they give the ball up in a minute and a half. It just seems to make a difference when you get those extra points on the board. It's a little bit of boost to the defense. But when you're not scoring and you're giving the ball away that quickly, the defense just look absolutely awful. I mean, this was this was a hot garbage, maybe the worst half of football like you ever want to see. And the fact that they were up 31 nothing when they did that is just – you're scratching your head like, how is that even possible? Yeah, because you, you'd like to think that your system is strong enough to you know score points even if you've got a backup in there. I, I, I think Oregon's system is – and I don't want to like belabor the point because he's just doing his best, but I just think Jeff Lockie is that significant of a drop-off from Vernon Adams or from really any – you know I, I don't want to say any Division One quality quarterback quarterback but he's a, I mean he's a backup for a reason and he's probably not a guy you want to even go into your season with as your second string guy you preferably have him as your third string or even your scout team quarterback um but you know f- through circumstances of recruiting and all those sorts of issues they wanted to redshirt um Travis Johnson this year uh through all those reasons he ended up you know the second string guy and he's just not capable of, of you know, playing at that level. Um, and he's not quite capable of executing really much of that offense at all. He's not much of a runner and he can't really throw downfield. So it's, it kind of turns into a, a West Coast offense and they don't have the complexity in their offense to do that. I mean, it can't just be a short passing scheme. That's not what their offense is. Um, and he kind of, you know, makes it very, very one dimensional and that, that really hurts Oregon because they're built so much on speed and so much on, on, you know, being able to do a lot of different things that he's, he's just not capable of doing, but, you know, good on TCU winning a game with their backup quarterback, obviously a, a more talented backup than Oregon has. Um, but I, I don't think this necessarily reflects too much on Oregon, except what we already knew their quarterback depth chart sucks and yeah. they need to keep going to the FCS, you know, well until they figure out some depth things. They've got, 
you know, Travis Johnson there, who they're expecting to be their quarterback of the future, but he's probably not ready next year. And then they've got Ryan Kelly coming in in 2017. But, you know, they've they've really got to build some depth through high school recruiting because this, you know, going to an FCS guy every year, that's that's a gamble that's probably not going to pay off eventually. And then the one thing, Dave, where, OK, you get that Vernon Adams is gone, that he that he was out of the game. His, his career is over at Oregon. And Jeff Lockie, you're trying to let him do something and get the offense going. Basically, if you score a single point in the second half, you win the game. Royce Freeman was still running really well, and they would get away from him for long stretches and have Jeff Lockie throwing balls out of bounds. It was just, it was weird the way that offense was going, knowing that Lockie wasn't really getting it done. If you just handed the ball off to Freeman three straight times, not only are you running clock, but at least, I mean, you got a chance at making first downs and, and scoring again. And for some reason, they weren't doing that. It almost looked like they didn't even have a contingency plan built for the case where Jeff Lockie has to play. And you would think after going through a good portion of the season where Jeff Lockie had to play, that they would have had a better plan in place at this point of the season for, you know, this this eventuality. And they just didn't. I mean, it looked like they were just kind of, you know, uh, they didn't really have any sort of offensive plan. And, you know, that's, eh, you know, that's just kind of a worry for, Oregon from a, from a coaching staff standpoint, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, not that significant, but they definitely need to figure out their quarterback situation. All right. Let's uh, this was the, the next one is the last bowl game of the whole bowl season, which I didn't realize that sometimes they were having ones before, like on the fourth and weird, you know, so apparently that's all done. So this one is the cactus bowl, the motel six cactus bowl between Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and West Virginia out in the desert. Yeah, this was this was a really fun game. Um, you know, we I think we talked about before bowl season, we thought the UCLA-Nebraska game was going to be fun, but I think this one was probably in terms of, you know, going back and forth, the whole thing. I thought this game was a lot of fun. Hinged on a really, really kind of boneheaded thing from the ASU coaching staff where they didn't go for two on their final touchdown, yeah. um, and they went up six instead of seven. And then West Virginia promptly came back down the field and scored, um, and that one point proved to be the difference between a tie and overtime and a defeat. Um, do you have any idea why they did that? Do you think it was just a complete just mental error, or do you think they had some sort of strategy for why they were not doing that? No, I don't think there was any strategy there. I, from what I, I didn't look at the whole Todd Graham you know, press conference and stuff afterwards, but he brought it up, and it was – it seemed like it was some sort of error where, like, yeah, we have a chart, and you definitely should have gone for, for two at that point. And yeah, that's a that's a huge gaff. I mean, that's that's a difference between losing the game and, and trying to win it in overtime. And uh, you know, they had the, they were the benefit earlier in the game of some weird extra point play because um, West Virginia was taking the they had a lot of explosive plays in this game. I mean, they 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 big chunks they were getting on this uh, Arizona State defense and. Late in the first half, uh, they score, and they're up 22-13. And then Arizona State blocks the extra point, returns it for two. And then they try like, this weird squib, like onside kick thing that doesn't work. And then Arizona State, you know, gets it and, and kicks a field goal. So it was like tw- – it should have been 23-13 going into the, the half and ends up being 22-18. to It was, like, much closer. Um, so I think Arizona State benefited early on, but late – I mean, those two points really counted, obviously, but they would have had a chance to to go for two and at least you know get, put yourself in position 
to be up seven instead of six. And that's just a, I think to me, it's just a Todd Graham error, Dave. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this all year too, the Arizona state uh, offense, and it worked out in this game, but still you've got Demario Richard and Kalen Balaj. They ran the ball 32 times in this, which includes four Mike Berker VT runs and probably two or three of those were sacks. Um, and they threw the ball 52 times and, Berkovici had a nice game, but I don't know why they're not running the ball a little bit more. I mean, I get it from a West Virginia perspective. I mean, I think they're kind of oriented around a passing attack much more. But I think is, and this is just a, you know a season long story, but I think they should have been running the ball more all year. Devin Lucien had a huge game in this one. Uh, nine catches for 144 yards. He actually went over a thousand yards this season. Wow! And I'm pretty sure his UCLA season high ever was like 200. Um, so really, really good season for Devin Lucian. I think he kind of answered, especially over the back half of the season, he answered that ASU question as to who's going to be the go-to receiver in the absence of Jalen Strong. Uh, it took till midseason, but I think Lucian answered that pretty emphatically. Um, yeah, this is just, I mean, it was a fun back and forth game. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, but I think it's, you know, ASU's issues, they, they, that Todd Graham defense, you know, it's the the common, you know, saying about it is it's either boom or bust. You know, you're you're either getting a big, you know, you know, big play from your defense or you're giving up a big play. I think it really, really went more towards giving up big plays as teams have had time to scout it out. I think he really needs to either dial back the, the aggressiveness or build in some more variation because I think teams have really got that defense scouted now and are able to gash it pretty hard. They did. It was it was getting gashed all night. I mean, it started early with what you know West Virginia, and just kept going. And at the end of the day, would you have thought Arizona State finishes with a losing record, finishes six and seven? I mean, that's absolutely crazy. A lot of people picked them to to win the Pac-12 South. They were our unanimous number two in the Pac-12 South. Yeah. On the podcast of champions. Supposed, um, supposed yeah. They're supposed to be the best team ever for Todd Graham. Yeah, and I, I think it's part and parcel of the uh, disappointment of the Pac-12 South this year. You know, you've got ASU and Arizona are both, you know, scuffling right around 500. You've got, um, you know, UCLA being a little disappointing, USC being a little disappointing, and, you know, Utah probably playing a little bit above their heads. But um, the whole, you know, division kind of came back to the pack, and I think ASU was probably was AS, so what let's, this is a good question who was the most disappointing team in the Pac-12 South this year who well i don't think you could say colorado because no i, I wouldn't say colorado but they were a disappointment but they weren't the most the disappointing most. i think it's got, i would have to go asu because you know you you didn't pick them to have a losing record for sure but at least competing for the Pac-12 South title and then to you know to be 6 and 7 4 and 5 in conference it's just it just wasn't the right it just didn't work this year. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree. I mean, I didn't have super high expectations for USC. I thought they would be like a nine nine ish win team, so they went what one under expectation. Um, I thought UCLA would be better. I thought they would have a chance at ten yeah. and two, but you know, eight and four, it's it's a two win. I think I had ASU as like a nine and three type team, and so they went kind of three wins under expectation and. The real issue for me was they just didn't look good at really any point this year. You know, they never really got it going, whereas there were flashes from the other teams in the South where they, you know, finally started to fire on all cylinders. This, it just seemed like a kind of a scuffling season for ASU. And maybe, 
you know, with a new quarterback, you know, somebody who maybe better fits their system, they'll be able to kind of recapture a little bit, but definitely, definitely a disappointing year for the Sun Devils. You know, I, they, they looked like they might have turned things around when they, they beat UCLA. Um, late in the season, when Washington was playing well, was able to get a win against the Huskies. I mean, so there, there was some bright spots, you know, they, they beat Arizona in a shootout, but just, I, it just the consistency certainly wasn't there. There was it was this kind of roller coaster thing, but to finish six and seven, man, I did I just did not see that coming. No, no. But and that was kind of a, a fitting end to the uh, season for the Pac-12. Six and four. Yeah, yeah, six and four in the bowl games. Like that's not. Yeah. That's not good, especially when a bunch of those wins came against non-power five opponents. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> That's not good. Um, Well, I guess we put a little bow on the Pac-12 football schedule. There's still one game left, obviously, the championship between Alabama and Clemson. No Pac-12 team in that one. Um, But we can uh, can start talking about some of these questions. We had that one holdover from from last week, Dave, that you had a good idea that we should wait a week and talk about it. So we can do that if you'd like. Yeah, let's jump into that. Do you have that question there, like the specific one? Yeah, hold on. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling it up. The general, uh, the general just being like the high point and low point or the worst and the best. For yeah, this is this is from Alex in Pasadena. Hola, amigos. Now that both Southern Cal and UCLA seasons are over, I didn't even realize this last week, but he, he threw in the Southern Cal just to, just to you know, stick it to the Trojans. Oh. Uh, what's your best and worst part of each season? Also, thanks for being brutally honest with the listeners. Keep up the great work. So... Um, we were asked that about UCLA and USC, but we decided to extend it to all of the Pac-12 schools um, to get all of their feedback about this. And do you have our answers from the other uh, the other publishers and whatnot? I do. I have the answers. Um, so let's why don't we do uh, let's do the South first, I guess, and then we'll. I, I don't have everybody, so I have. Let's see. I have. Yeah, we'll go through them, and the ones that we don't have, we'll just kind of. I think I have. Every, I have everyone from the South, so we'll do the South, and then the North, there's some holes we'll have to fill in ourselves. All right. Sounds good. Um, why don't, okay, we were just talking about Arizona State. I'll, I'll do that. This is Chris Cartman. Uh, he said the best was beating then number seven UCLA on the road after losing to USC to open Pac-12 play. It makes, it makes sense. Probably a high point of the season. The mm-hmm. worst, he said losing to Washington State, a third straight loss in a three-game period in which Arizona State had a lead at some point. In the fourth quarter, that was that was true. They they blew a whole bunch of fourth quarter leads there. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I think that would probably do it. I mean, you don't want to do recency bias, but I think maybe it's not a worst moment, but kind of the encapsulation of the season was you know deciding not to go for two on that situation where they obviously should have just kind of a coaching blunder. Um, I think you know that kind of encapsulates the frustration of the ASU season. That's a good point. Um, I think he sent this in before. Yeah. Probably the, before the bowl game, but. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, J- our buddy Jason for Arizona, Jason Shear. Um, he said the worst. Uh, so he's, he's reversed the order. So they, ah, I wonder if it's glass full, half, glass half empty or whatever. <laughs> Which one you put this first? This is like, this is, yeah, this is like a psych test. This is great. <laughs> the worst, Jason said, was, uh, failing to score an offensive touchdown at Washington. In one of the worst games under uh, Rodriguez. Yeah, that was a hundred percent. It was one of the worst moments of my of my watching Pac-12 games this season too. 
Yeah, that was a, that was a miserable game to watch. <laughs> and then the best was the overtime win at home against Utah when Jared Randall completed his only pass of the game, a touchdown, which I think was in overtime, right? I, that was, yeah. That was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was really cool. He, he, he was, I think, one for six or something like that and had to take over for a new Solomon in overtime. That was great. Yeah, yeah. completely agree, Jason. Good job with that, Jason. Thanks for sending that in. Uh, we'll go to Utah. Uh, so this is Brian Swinney. He said the best. So he's starting with the best. Uh, waxing Oregon 62 to 20 at Autzen Stadium to move into the national title picture. Uh, hard to argue with that. <laughs> that was a pretty big one. Very hard to argue. Yeah. Um, worst, uh, failing to score a touchdown against UCLA at home, eliminating eliminating themselves from the Pac-12 South race. Ah. Uh. I think you could pick uh, any of a couple of their losses. I don't know that they had a really, really awful moment. I would say the worst moment wasn't a game. It was just Devontae Booker going down. Um, and that was directly before the UCLA game, but I would say that was kind of the thing that derailed it for them. Yeah, I mean, kind of getting waxed by SC when they were, you know, number three in the yeah. country, that, that probably wasn't great either. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think UCLA was maybe like third on their list, but... He covers them. He knows better than we do. Lose the the double overtime loss to Arizona. That that's uh that wasn't pretty. Um, all right. Well, yeah. There's a there's a few to choose from there. But yeah, definitely going to Autzen Stadium and absolutely you know smacking around the Ducks. You know historic numbers. Like no one's ever put up 62 points in Autzen Stadium. I mean that was a big deal. Like that that's hands down for me. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right. uh, Adam. Did you get one? Oh, yeah, okay. No, I was I was wondering if that one from Adam. Yeah, we did. He set the one. Um, so he Adam Munster Tiger. He covers uh, Colorado, and his is a little longer. And he starts with the worst uh, ending of the Hawaii game. The officials took a lot of heat for failing to spot the ball in 12 seconds, but the Buffaloes should have never let themselves get in that position. Down eight with the clock running out. Hawaii fired its head coach midway through the season, so Colorado had no business losing that game, and it put the Buffs behind the eight ball. After just one game. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. That's, uh, I mean, we were harping on that. Just the whole Pac-12, you know, you can't lose those early season out-of-conference games, especially when they're, it's a terrible team. Like, like that, Adam said, fired their coach midway through the season. Um, best moment was beating in-state rival Colorado State. The Buffs have only lost to the Rams in back-to-back seasons once in the last 66 years. They were able to avoid having that happen again with an overtime victory against Mike Bobo's squad at week three. With his parents up from uh, Mexico to watch the game, uh, Diego Gonzalez missed a game-winning field goal attempt at the end of regulation, but he got redemption by making a 32-yarder in overtime. So the worst and best moments both took place in like the first two weeks of the season for Colorado. Yeah, I, I think I would have said the, the Pac-12 win against Oregon State. For a bet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was an awful game, but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's much more significant, but you know what? One of those wins. One of those wins for Colorado yeah. was definitely the best moment of the year. I mean, rivalry games are big and stuff, but I, yeah. I just really feel like that was, a, you know, yeah. but neither one of those teams were going to win another game in the conference, it looked like, so... Uh, although Colorado had some really close moments against, you know, SC and UCLA, they could have definitely won some more. But getting over that hump where they had lost 14 
Pac-12 games in a row or whatever it was. Um, I thought that was a big one. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, should I do UCLA? Sure. Leave, the, leave you for the last. Um, oh, worst moment. Oh, there were so many to choose from. <laughs> I think I would go with uh, UCLA losing to Stanford yet again, um, particularly given all the, you know, the, I think that one moment where uh, Owusu caught that ball uh, while getting pass interfered in the end zone, just the spectacular catch that will <laughs> live on forever was probably like the low point. Like that was the lowest point for UCLA this season. Um, but you could also easily point to the loss to USC. Um, the loss to Nebraska, I mean, it wasn't significant, but that was ugly. Um, there were there were a lot of low moments to choose from, but I think I would have to go with Stanford. And then the high point, um, being cynical, I would say, the, immediately before Virginia when there was a lot of hope. Uh, but I would say, you know, probably the Utah game, if we're looking at like in the, in the midst of the season, um, they were playing pretty well from a defensive perspective at that point. Um, they still had control of the Pac-12 South. If they beat USC, they would have gone to the title game. So I think that Utah game, um, but I think the point where the hope was the highest was probably like midway through the Virginia game when UCLA was still completely healthy and, and looking pretty good, but, I would go Utah for the high point, and I would go uh, low point Stanford. Yeah, that, I mean, I think – I'm trying to think. The, the Arizona State game could have been a, a low point. I mean, that's – you know, I, I think UCLA was top ten at the time, and Arizona State just got waxed by SC inexplicably, and then they come back and beat, you know, the Bruins of the Rose Bowl. That was a – I mean, that, that was that in a contention? Was that in the running, Dave? I, I You know – I'm looking at it from a more historical perspective. In terms of this season, yeah, I think it would have been in, in contention. I think the reason I picked Stanford is because that's now the fifth loss to Stanford for Jim Mora. Um, and it, it, again, wasn't a particularly close game. It wasn't in any way in doubt. Um, and I, I think I would still pick USC over the ASU game just because – I think this was, you know, it was another one of these momentum shifts. I think if UCLA had won this one, puts a little bit more, well, I don't know. You could argue it so many different ways, but if they still give the job to Clay Helton, then you've got Clay Helton starting his career at four and five at this point. Um, and that probably doesn't give him a ton of momentum, but there's a lot of circumstances to look into. I would put ASU probably third in that, in that list. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That, that catch though in the Stanford game. One of those, it's just, you don't want to get posterized, and that was kind of <laughs> one of those moments. That was, know? that was, that was awesome. Yeah. It's just too awesome. Um, Give me USC. Give yeah, me USC. So for USC, there's a couple different ways you could go. I mean, worse, there's so many. I mean, there's a whole lot to go through. It's hard to kind of argue. Well, I'll do best. Um, I think the best has to be beating UCLA, you know, losing to, to Jim Moore three years in a row. It was a really big deal. Um, they needed to get a, a win there. They needed some kind of momentum, and if you look over the last four games, that was the only game they won. Um, but it it really kind of got the fan base back again, and it allowed Clay Helton to get the job. Um, really, if if they don't win that game, even though Pat Hayden said, um, you know, it didn't matter what happened in that game, but they named him the the, the permanent head coach right after that. So I think it really had a lot to do with it. Um, now, right. if you Oh, Ryan, does that also make it the worst moment? Does that, that also make it the worst moment? That is a, a very good point. If you want to be, you know, you've got the sunshine pumpers 
and you got the doom and gloomers usually on the message boards, the doom and gloomers would say it's also the worst moment because if you, you lose to UCLA, you don't have Clay Helton as the head coach. You can't hire him then. You couldn't hire him after getting smacked around in the – well, they wouldn't have been in the uh, Stanford – you know, wouldn't have been in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, but, yeah, so uh, they would say that. But I would say the worst – the worst game, I think you'd have to go with Washington because they lost to you know Washington that didn't that wasn't when Washington's offense was good. Um, the defense was certainly good; it's been good all year. But the the offense didn't really get clicking till the second half of the year. To lose them 17 to 12 and that kind of spiraling into Steve Sarkeesian getting fired. I, mean, I think firing your head coach probably has to be the worst moment, I would guess. Um, but it all kind of started with the, the Washington game. So game wise, I'd probably go with Washington. Um, but, you know, as far as, like, the moment, you know, it had to be, like, that 24-hour period when Sark didn't show up for practice and gets, you know, indefinitely uh, leave of absence and then obviously getting fired right after that. Yeah, that probably didn't that, – that was – I would I would completely agree with that one. <laughs> um, There's a lot, though. Yeah. There's plenty you could argue for. Yeah, we should actually just have a separate award ceremonies for the uh, worst moment of the year for UCLA and USC. Because I think if you start at the beginning of the year, it's there's a lot. Pretty much a long list of just bad things. Yeah. I think USC obviously gets the gets the overall, but I think UCLA's got some nice moments where if you pick specific categories, I think UCLA could clean up. It's yeah. like one of those, you know, if it's, we're talking award season, it's like a technically well made film that'll clean up in a lot of awards. Obviously, <laughs> USC wins best picture, best screenplay, the whole thing. But I think UCLA gets like, you know, best cinematography, definitely. For for drama in a season, yes, there's yeah. no no question. Those two schools, uh, the ones we just happened to cover, had more than their fair share than anybody. Um, yeah. Well, let's do Pac-12 North. So we have three uh, three teams. So we'll do uh, I'll do the Washington schools first. Um, so Chris Fetters from Washington, he starts off with the best, uh, watching the number one defense in the Pac-12 thrive after losing four top 45 players uh, to the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, if we're going broad spectrum, yeah, I think Washington uh, just having that defense all year was pretty impressive. Um, for them, I would say the biggest win was probably the USC win at USC. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, that, I mean, that was true because everyone thought the defense was going to take a big step back, and they played better. Um, those young guys played in their system as opposed to maybe more talented guys kind of doing their own thing. It was like a system that they had that worked well. So, Absolutely. Um, the worst, watching uh, more losses to Oregon and Arizona State. That makes 12 straight against Oregon and 10 straight against Arizona State. Wow, I didn't even realize that. So double-digit losing streaks to two Pac-12 opponents for Washington. That's pretty bad. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm reluctant to pick a worst moment of this season for Washington because I think, you know, just a message to Washington fans, I think you've got to be happy with where you are and with, with the tra- trajectory of the program right now under Chris Peterson. To go 7-6 and six this year, um, in a year where nobody was expecting anything out of that team, with the kind of hope you have on offense, you know, what you've got on defense, a very young defense. I think it was the youngest team in the Pac-12 from a starter perspective this year. Um, there's so much to be hopeful about that, yeah, they lost to Oregon again, um, and it wasn't great, but, I mean, they've. I think they're going to be much more competitive next year and the year after that, and I think they're going to be competing for the Pac-12 North before too long. I think you could argue the worst moment was when David Woods preseason picked the Washington to only win three games. Like, that could have no, been... No, no, so, 
So we should do the best and worst moments for us this year because I think that was definitely that was definitely one of my worst picks. But what did you have Stanford doing this year? I had like seven five dropping way off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not quite. Twelve games, not pretty bad. good. Yeah, twelve wins, not bad, not bad. Yeah. So our buddy Greg up at Washington State, he said the best moment was uh, tying Oregon on the road with one second left in regulation time and then winning it in double overtime. Yeah, completely agree. No, yeah, was, no argument there. That was a big one, and then yes, yeah, but another big. You know, if you you win an Austin Stadium, that's pretty good. That's usually going to be one of your better moments. Worst, uh, face planting at home uh, in the season opener to FCS team Portland State. Yeah, and it's I mean it's what derailed you know that that whole early part of the season for Washington state and made it, you know, where they were kind of flying under the radar as a semi good team until what the eighth or ninth game of the year, because of that loss um, would have changed the complexion a little bit of the season for them. I still don't think they would have, you know, you know, been in contention for much, you know, other bowl given how they performed in pac 12 play. But, you know, that's just another one of those losses where you just kind of scratch your head, but hopefully those are behind them now and they're, you know, ready to go. I would put an honorable mention for worst um, any time the special teams were on the field in the first, like, seven games of the year. Yeah, that's true. That was so bad. Uh, but, that, I mean, that one loss, too, though, I think it, it hurt the whole conference. Uh, Washington State could have had uh, game day. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that yeah. without – you win that game, and it's a different narrative. You basically, As soon as Washington State lost that game, no one's even thinking about them again. Then they start winning a bunch of games at the end of the season. They play Stanford tough. And you're rethinking, like, well, this Washington State team's pretty good, but they weren't going to get the benefit of the doubt through the first three quarters of the season because of that loss. So I think it it brought them down, it, you know, as a national, uh, you know, perception and and the whole conference really, especially when they start beating other teams, it doesn't make the Pac-12 look all that good that the team that lost to Portland State is beating other teams like Oregon, you know. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. All right, so who's up next? Oregon we got uh, – this is the last one, then we're going to have to make up the last three. So Angie uh, at Oregon State, the worst was losing to Colorado 17-13 at home. Yeah, I would kind of give honorable mention to the entire season, but sure, okay. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, that was the that was a chance, though, and it was a close game. You know, to, to win a Pac-12 game, that was it. So I I would I would hitch my wagon to that that one. Okay. I, I would say actually the worst moment was losing Kalani Sataki to BYU. That's a that's a good point too. Um, all right, but okay, go to the best. Go to the best. The best second half of the Civil War, where the Beavers scored 35 points, outscoring the Ducks 35-21 in the half, and gave the team and fans hope for the future of the program. That. So sad and so depressing. <laughs> uh, the the second half of a losing effort. Uh, I can't disagree. I can't disagree. I think that was um, probably the, you know, gives you the most hope um, heading into next year for an Oregon State fan. Um, and you probably wouldn't have picked. So who did they beat this year? It was what, Weber State and who else? Nichols State? They beat uh, Weber State 26-7, to and then they beat San Jose State. 35-21. Uh, right. Yeah, I don't think you can pick either of those. Yeah, I would say the best performance they had against a pretty good team was that second half against Oregon. So, yeah, I have no disagreement there. 
Didn't they uh, go up seven nothing on Michigan or something? Like, could that be the best moment? Or the the first half against Michigan wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, but then it just kind of you know Gary Anderson went super conservative, decided to kick a couple of field goals or punt or something when he probably should have gone for it on a few short fourth downs, and that just you know kind of derailed them against a disciplined Harbaugh team. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with her with the Oregon State, you know, Oregon second half because. I remember picking that game. I, I don't know if we both did, but I definitely had because uh, the week before I picked them to get shut out by Washington, and they scored like a late touchdown. That would be my worst moment. They scored that late touchdown. I didn't get my shutout pick exactly right, but it looked like okay, Oregon's gonna pound them, and we picked them. You know, Oregon plus what? I mean, minus whatever, like 25 yeah. points or something. And then Oregon State comes back, and Oregon just goes into their shell. Um, so that, that annoyed me the most after picking the other side. So I'll give I'll give her to her. Yeah, that'll be the best. Uh, that should be the best moment. I believe the line on that game was actually minus thirty five. Thirty five. Okay. Correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So it looked it was definitely feasible when Oregon was up thirty five nothing or whatever it was, and then. Uh, yep. Uh, speaking of Oregon, uh, so we don't we didn't hear from uh, our buddy Steve. Um, what would you think the worst moment is for Oregon? Uh, worst game was losing by 42 points at home to Utah. Um, worst moment was any point where Vernon Adams got hurt this year. Um, the finger against Michigan State or the, you know, the injury in the Alamo Bowl, uh, that directly led to that loss. Um, so those are my worst moments for Oregon. What are your worst moments? Yeah, the, that, uh, 61-28, uh, no, I'm sorry, no, that was the, that's when they beat Georgia State. The, uh, the the 45 um 38 double overtime loss to Washington State was was crappy but really the 62 20 beatdown from Utah that really elevated Utah to get into the top 5 and stuff um that was pretty bad but i can't i mean maybe it's the recent thing but having a 31 point you know 31 nothing halftime lead and blowing that Against TCU, I mean, to, I, I think I got to go with that as being the worst. I mean, that was just absolutely awful that they they couldn't score in the second half and lose to TCU in triple overtime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's definitely one of those two games. And then the best moment, I think, pretty clear favorite for me, Oregon beating Stanford. Um, this you know kind of came when Vernon Adams was getting back um, and. It kind of showed that Oregon still has it to uh, contend with, uh, at that time, a playoff contending Stanford team. Um, I thought that was pretty clearly their top moment this year. Yeah, I mean, to finish with a six-game winning streak, and, and really that was the crown jewel of it, is beating Stanford, um, you know, 38-28 uh, on the road. I mean, 38-36 on the road. The, you know, yeah, they beat USC at home. They beat Oregon State, and they kind of, let them back into the second half, but that was the big one. So I think it was really I, the whole six-game winning streak. I thought was great. You know, Vernon Adams playing well, but I'd have to give it to that one moment beating uh, Stanford on the road. Yeah, and you know it's funny as, as crappy a year as Oregon, you know, in theory had, you know, four losses, and they haven't had four losses in a long time. They were what a three-point game against Michigan State, uh, an overtime loss to Washington State from kind of being in it. You know, like being in the conversation with the playoffs still, which is pretty incredible. In a year where their quarterback was down, there were, you know, an overtime loss and three points away from, you know, actually still being, 
very much in contention for that. So uh, kudos to Oregon for even getting through that year with Vernon Adams being as kind of hurt as he was. Um, but yeah, I think I think that 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 Stanford game was definitely their best moment. All right, let's uh, let's do Cal. Um, you got a worst moment for Cal? Ooh, uh, their loss to UCLA wasn't good. Um, and that kind of came at, you know, a moment where they were trying to, um, get out of, uh, you know, they just lost to Utah and they were riding kind of high. They still had a pretty good amount of momentum. They were just a one loss team at that point. And then UCLA beat them by 16. It wasn't really that close of a game. And then they started off on a, uh, quick, I mean, that was part of a four game losing streak. Um, so I don't know. I could, I think I would pick the UCLA game, but you could make an argument for the Oregon game. Um, but definitely one of those four losses in that stretch that kind of killed all their momentum this year. I was going to pick the UCLA game too, but for the the main reason being that up until that point, they were five and one. They had a bye week. They still had time to prepare. They lose to UCLA. They're five and no two. No more eleven and one. The eleven and one dream is dead. Yeah, I think that might have been my worst moment of the year, honestly. <laughs> when the 11-1 dream died, I, I think a part of me died with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the best, what do you think? Um, best moment, I thought the, honestly, I thought the win against Texas, just in in terms of just the, the optics of it, obviously Texas wasn't very good this year. But winning that road game against Texas at the beginning of the year, I think that kind of put the stamp on Cal as, hey, we're pretty decent this year. We're not bad. Um, and I think that was kind of a good, a good moment for the program, a good moment for that team. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, that Cal Washington game was pretty impressive, um, going on the road and beating Washington. But I think, yeah, I think I'd give it to, uh, I think I'd give it to Cal beating Texas on the road. Yeah, that's good. I mean, any, there's three wins that they had of, you know, the, the five game winning streak, you know, beating Texas on the road, uh, beating Washington on the road, and then, uh, beating Washington State. I mean, I, I, you know, those are, you saw the way Washington and Washington State were playing at the end of the season. I mean, those, I think you look back and those are good wins for, for Cal. So I think I would go somewhere kind of in that, you know, sort of range, you know, beating Oregon State's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, the Arizona State game, but you know, the, the Armed Forces Bowl, that's something too. Um, yeah. But, oh yeah, sure. But those, those three wins, the last three wins of their five game losing streak, uh, I thought that was really, you know, important that they, looking back on them, those are not bad wins at all. They're good wins. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And then, so Stanford. Stanford. Um, is, is there any argument about their worst moment? <laughs> I mean, that Northwestern game, I, I don't think I've had more fun tweeting during a game or reading Ryan, your Twitter during a game. <laughs> um, but that was just the quintessential early season weird David Shaw game where just, uh, it seems like he, you know, the whole team hasn't quite woken up. His play calling is stuck in some different century and just it's, it's awful. And they lost that game by 10. To a Northwestern team that turned out to be pretty good, but not by any means a team that should have been able to hold Stanford to six. Yeah. By far the worst moment. I mean, with something we talked about, it kept them out of the playoffs. I mean, there's so many. And it's, you know, it's a pretty good Northwestern team, but, you know, 
Iowa handled Northwestern, and obviously at the end of the season, Stanford just boat raced Iowa. So it's you know Stanford was a better team than Northwestern. I think even watching the game, you knew they were a better team. And maybe the 9 a.m. start and all that kind of stuff, maybe it all played in the factor, but no question about it, the worst moment, maybe for the whole Pac-12, was Stanford losing to Northwestern. Absolutely. And then um, my best moment for Stanford was this most recent one, winning the Rose Bowl. And not just winning, but just suffocating Iowa. You know, just it, it wasn't even a real contest. Um, you could make an argument for Stanford-Notre Dame, but I thought this one, in terms of putting a final stamp on the season, you know, everyone was talking about Stanford the day after that game. Just, wow, they're they're really impressive. Christian McCaffrey, he should have won the Heisman. Stanford, nobody wants to play them right now. I think that's great for recruiting. I think it's great for the, the life of that program, for the lifeblood of that program, I think. It gives a lot of juice to David Shaw, and then, you know, he follows that up with, you know, emphatically denying that he's even thinking about the NFL. He wants to stay at Stanford. I, I, I think a lot of Pac-12 fans are probably envious of Stanford's program right now because they are so consistent year in and year out. They've got probably the most stable framework, and I think that game kind of uh, typified that. I would agree, and, uh, you know, the, you could argue as far as the whole Christian McCaffrey thing, because he didn't. They, Stanford beat Notre Dame, which was a big deal. He didn't have the greatest game in that one. He didn't, you know, he, he wasn't a standout in that game where he was in the Pac-12 championship game and, of course, the Rose Bowl. But the fact that he went absolutely bonkers against USC and, you know, ran a touchdown in, threw a touchdown, and caught a touchdown, um, and the same thing, Kevin Hogan did the exact same thing. I, and he had, you know, set all the records for how many hundreds of yards of total offense and all of that, um, scored all those touchdowns. I think that really allowed him to be in the position he was to at least make a run at the Heisman and, and finish second to Malik Henry. So that USC game probably got him over the top. And then if there was another vote after the Rose Bowl, he would have got there. But I think the USC game at least put him, you know, in the national, you know, uh, conversation as far as the Heisman goes. That makes sense. Yeah, I think you can make that argument too. Um, I think any of those final three games are a fair, fair argument to make. And I think. It was all part of just Stanford. I mean, they they just put their stamp on this season, and I think they were one they were one Northwestern uh, win away from. I think they would have been playing in the title game. I just I, I think they're right there. I think they would have been. It would have been a ton of fun to watch them against Bama. That offensive line versus that defensive line would have been so much fun to watch. Yeah. But all right, what can you do? That was a great question, though, and I'm glad we got the input from the other scout publishers. That was good. Yeah, that was great. So we get to uh, the the final questions in the inbox? Yes. All right, this is from Bob. Um, note on Pac-12 bowl record. Note, after the 2009 season, the then Pac-10 bowl record was 2-7. and seven. Only winners were USC and UCLA. This year, those schools may have the exact opposite distinction. I thought this was interesting, especially if it plays out the way today with U of O and ASU. Unfortunately, it did not, but that is an interesting note. Yeah, back in the day, it was kind of the opposite. I think it's a more balanced conference now. Um, we're seeing so much more power shift to the north. Um, I mean, the teams that are on the rise are in the north right now. So I think the way we talked about how deep the south was last year, probably this year we're going to talk about, hey, Washington State could come up and, and win, you know, and, and Washington can come up and win. And so I think there's a lot to be talked You know, it's, it's spread around. The wealth is spread around a lot more in the conference now than it was back then. Yeah, and I would also say any year where the L.A. schools are in 
you know, tier bowl game is probably a good year for them to be predicted for losses because generally they're not going to play well. You know, I think UCLA is not going to, you know, they, UCLA doesn't get it up for anything over like say a Sun Bowl and USC doesn't get up for anything over say, you know, what would it be? Alamo Bowl? Alamo Bowl or better they'll get up for it. Yeah. Something like that. I would say. So, yeah. Um, Justin has, uh, his take on the worst of the year. I'll run through them pretty quickly. Uh, truth be told, this is hard to point to one thing as many schools have so many things to point to. Uh, for Arizona, he says the UCLA game, which we didn't get from anyone, but that was a game where, uh, Arizona, I think, lost a new Solomon early on. Gerard Randall came in, played pretty poorly, and, uh, UCLA kind of blew him out, so that's probably fair. Uh, yeah. Arizona State, he says, uh, not going for two up by five against West Virginia, which, fair. right? Fair. Completely fair. Uh, ca- yeah, Cal, he says, the UCLA game, which I think we were in agreement, was probably the low point for them, uh, mostly because it you know, took away the 11-1 and possibilities. <laughs> um, Colorado, he says, the Hawaii game. Oregon, he says, the second half of the Alamo Bowl, which I, I think we both agree because yeah. is definitely in contention. Oregon State, he, he agrees with my take, the 2015 season. <laughs> um, Stanford, he says, the Northwestern game. UCLA. Uh, giving up the TD to Stanford while pass interfering to prevent a TD. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Justin and I are like right in line with each other. Yeah. Um, USC says too much material to work with here. I'll defer to Ryan as to what one thing to point to in that dumpster fire of a year. Some nominees would be the last play of the Wisconsin game, both Stanford games, the Washington game, Sark, salute to Troy, Pat Hayden, Justin Wilcox, or Bob Connolly. Yeah, all all fair points. You could argue any of those, but the yeah, the, yeah. The, the last play against Washington, where you had to throw a hail mary, and you throw a seven yard out on fourth and ten with seven seconds left. That, that was that's a pretty low point. So I mean, that was that was quintessential. It was quintessential. <laughs> um, Utah, he said, thinking Cameron Smith was one of uh, your receivers, probably fair and a little <laughs> sad. Um, Washington, honestly, they so greatly exceeded my expectations. I can't really think of anything fair. You guys like then, must have talked before this or something. Yeah, you know, we're 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 tight, me and Justin. Uh, Washington State, he says the Portland State game. Yeah. Um, and he says, as an SC fan, it's hard to think of good things related to the season. I would definitely say schools like Washington, Stanford, Utah, and Washington State have much to celebrate. Uh, you see, SC can hang its hat in the fact that it somehow found its way into the championship game. Not really sure about the rest. All right, good stuff from Justin. Yeah. Our man Nick has his uh, his recap. Oh, uh, Nick, all right. Uh, hi, this is Nick from Cyprus. Well, my seven-win prediction for Pac-12 doesn't come true, but the Pac-12 could have swept as well, so here goes my quick recap. Uh, first, the granddaddy of them all, Rose Bowl, Stanford 45 versus Iowa 16. Well, it was the Christian McCaffrey show, broke Rose Bowl and Stanford season records. Dominant performance. Next two games, big letdowns. First game is Oregon 41 versus TCU 47, three OTs. So Oregon was up 31 nothing at halftime to lose by six. Like I said before the season, Oregon is soft. Yes, they score, but no D. Huge letdown, the biggest letdown by far. Oregon will never win a title the way they play. Garbage. Wow. That I, don't, was... I don't agree with Nick on that. I think they could win a title, but go ahead. I feel the heat from that take right there. I feel <laughs> the heat. Uh, next, West Virginia 43 versus 42 ASU. Well, this went back and forth uh, where West Virginia did enough to win. ASU best team that the ASU coaches said is funny. Uh, so questions. <laughs> 
What are your final thoughts on bowl season? Ryan, what are your final kinda, thoughts on bowl season? I mean, it was disappointing that uh, Pac-12 was favored in all but, I think, one game or something. And, you know, it, it kind of fluctuated. But USC and UCLA should not have lost their games. Um, it, You know, Oregon should not have lost. Arizona State should not have lost. I, I just, I really feel that the Pac-12 could have been, you know, 10-0 or 9-1. I mean, that was realistic. Once you got, like, Washington State beating Miami was a big deal. We could That could have been a moment, too. I mean, in the snow and everything, that could have been a good one. But that was a good, that was one where you're like, yeah, I could see the Pac-12 losing that one. But the other ones, it just, they shouldn't have lost those games, you know? So, to me, it was disappointing. It was a very, you know, very SEC narrative thing where they go, uh, what, 8-2 and two or whatever they did, and they got a chance to win the, the, the national title. It just was one of those things that the Pac-12 just didn't quite do enough early in the season and then late in the season, and it just, just they just left money on the table in my estimation, Dave. They could have been a contender. Yeah. Instead of a bum, which is what it <laughs> is. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think it was kind of a disappointing end to what was a pretty disappointing season for Pac-12. Uh, what are your thoughts on players leaving early for the NFL from all the Pac-12 teams? Um, I, for the most part, I think it's been pretty fair. I, I think most of the guys I thought were going to leave – actually, outside of UCLA, I thought most of the guys who I thought were going to leave were going to leave. UCLA has just been a, a roller coaster. I have – you know, day in and day out, I have no idea who's going to leave and who's going to stay. I thought Connor McDermott, the starting left tackle, was a sure thing to leave. He's coming back. I thought Caleb Benenock was probably going to come back. He's decided to leave. I thought Paul Perkins might come back. He's decided to leave. Um, so there's no telling with UCLA, but I think everyone else, I've, I haven't seen anyone that it was like, oh, wow, that's a huge shock. I think everyone else has been pretty fair. Yeah, I think so. Usually it's SC has some really weird ones, and this year it's been kind of one thing that's been kind of boring, it's just Sua Craven's going to leave. Uh, Zach Banner said he's going to stay. We haven't heard of anyone else that's even thinking about it. I guess it could be a last-minute change of heart by, like, a Justin Davis or something, the running back. But, you know, for the most part, it's been pretty quiet on the SC front. And, like, I agree with Dave. But the ones that you hear around the conference, yeah, they, they kind of made sense. So, yeah. Nothing too and then, uh And then Nick asked a question that maybe we'll uh, dive into in our next podcast. Uh, news on recruiting regarding Pac-12 and both high school all-star games, the Under Armour and the Jarhead one. LOL, <laughs> Army joke. <laughs> so he's an Army guy. Um, thanks yeah. for your service, Nick, by the way. But, yeah, he was talking about the Marine Bowl, um, the Semper Fi Bowl, you know, where the Marines run that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm actually – so I, I think we covered this at the top. I'm actually in San Antonio right now for the Army Bowl uh, practices. So the game – that game will be on Saturday. Uh, but maybe we'll have like Huffman or Biggins or both those guys on and kind of talk about Pac-12 recruiting in general. That would be a lot of fun. So we'll do that maybe next week. Okay. And then he then he has this really funny joke at the end. Uh, last basketball news. <laughs> a really funny joke. Um, yeah. I, I know USC basketball was up like 22 points on Washington on the road and blew it and lost. Well, UCLA just got swept on the road by Washington, which virtually guarantees I will not be talking about basketball on this podcast this year. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, this is from Buff Daddy. Kudos, comment, question, and worst best of Washington State season. Uh, this is Rich Ski from Olympia, Washington. Love your show. Great job. Keep it up. Looking forward to more. 
Comment, wow, after your extensive expert analysis, I never expected the Pac-12 to be so crappy in the bowl games. It was a nasty finish as a conference. It pains me to say that you, to you that the SC did better this year. SEC did better this year. Oh. Question. Seems to be some thought that Luke Falk holds the ball too long. I'd love to see if using your vast resources, you may be able to provide some definitive evidence to support or refute this contention. Hmm. I would say, yeah, I mean, if he held on, if he got rid of the ball a little quicker, he might throw for 600 yards instead of 500. But it's hard to, I mean, what, what do you want the guy to do? Like he's doing so much. uh, That seems like Nick, Nick, nitpicky to me, Dave. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree. I mean, I I think in that offense, it's so much, you know, timing and quick passes that maybe get a little bit quicker, but I think he's running it pretty efficiently right now. I wouldn't have too many complaints with how he's running that offense especially when it was humming the way it was throughout most of the year. I think he was maybe out of a, a little bit out of rhythm in the bowl game. Yeah. It might have affected him. You know, he did he did sit out some time at the end of the year. Um, but I have no concerns about Luke Falk leading that offense next year. Yeah, no, I mean, it was snowing and stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to fault the guy for not – I don't think they scored in the second half of that game. But, um, yeah, I mean, the guy was balling all year. So, it's uh, you know, they would have like, you know, 517 yards of offense and – those 17 yards were running and the, the 500 were passing. So, um, exactly. yeah, hard to fault them there. And then worst part of Washington State season, losing Falk the Apple Cup. Yeah, completely yes. fair. Um, and then best part of Washington State season, he says every UW loss. So this might be one of those fans who's more of a rival team hater than an actual, uh, you know, team rooter right. for what it is. That, that is kind of um, funny, though. Every time. <laughs> I mean, there was it's a lot of good cool. moments for Washington State, and if you're still going to pick Washington losing, which they, you know, they, they had their share of losses this year, but not yeah. as many as we thought they were going to have. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bernie from Oxnard has a question. Okay. Coaching speculation. Hi, Dave. Reading the Bro Forum, I can't understand the venom and negativity directed towards Coach Mora. As a longtime UCLA fan since the 1950s, and especially considering the 10 years prior to Coach Mora's hire, I remember the six-win seasons, UCLA's inability to get any interest from the four- and five-star recruits, and just a feeling of malaise over the program. Coach Mora changed all that. He made us relevant again, and top recruits now look at UCLA as a viable option. This leads me to my question regarding the speculation surrounding Coach Mora staying at UCLA. Isn't the fact that the recruits interested in UCLA are all saying that he has told them he is not leaving UCLA proof enough that he is staying? I mean, he would never misinform the kids he is recruiting. Isn't this confirmation of his intent? Thanks, Dave. Bernie. Um, all right. Well, first of all, there was a little bit of hubbub over the last week that uh, Jim Mora was you know, looking a little bit more seriously at the NFL, um, which is what Bernie's referring to here. Um this is just me speaking generally and not about any coach in particular. Uh, you can't trust anything a coach says to a recruit. The recruits shouldn't entirely trust it. They should take everything a coach says to them ever, 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 ever with a grain of salt because these the coaches have a vested interest in getting you into school. Um, so generally when we're reporting things and I'm speaking for Ryan here and he can chime in, but, when we're reporting things, we're taking the, what the recruits are telling us about what the coaches told them with an even bigger grain of salt because now it's going through a second person. Um, so, no, that's not definitive proof for us. I mean, that's not ever going to be definitive proof of really anything for us. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, that's, and you, you can go back and play the tape of Nick Saban saying, yo, I'm not leaving my, I'm not taking the Alabama job. And of course, he took the Alabama job. I mean, they're, they're going to say what they need to say at the time. You're not, not that they're liars or, or cheating or anything like that. It's just, that's, you know, kind of the way the game is played. So I wouldn't say just because a recruit, and, and you could talk to a recruit and he could tell you, hey, the coach told me this, and the coach didn't even tell him that. So, I mean, there's so much. It's hard to, you know, we, we can report what the kid says, but they don't always tell us the truth either. Um, so, yeah, there's stuff like that. But I I don't think, yeah, that, there's venom on all the message boards. We see it on the Peristyle where there's turmoil and all kind of stuff going on, and people get really passionate. But I, I do think that Jim Moore has done, like, the, like he said, I mean, he's done so many good things for the program. And I think just kind of building some of those foundation blocks that, However long he's there, and whoever the next coach is, has better, you know, better facilities. Better, there's a lot, there's a better infrastructure because of Jim Mora. So I think you can be a little patient sometimes if you lose a game that you don't think you should lose, or you didn't get to this level yet. I think he's done so much good for the program, um, you know, to to be nitpicky about some of the stuff he didn't get the high enough yet. He's got the program, I think, rolling in the right direction. So I think you know UCLA fans should you know give him a shot there. Yeah, I, I, for the most part, I agree. I think if you're judging it off of wins and losses, I think, you know, going eight and four one year, I mean, that's not a big deal. I mean, that's going to happen. You're going to have years where you get hit by injuries or something happens where it's a down year. I think what's probably bothering people more is just the, you know, the NFL rumors year after year after year. Um, I think people are probably getting a little fatigued by it. Um, and I think that coming on the heels of the eight and four years probably rubbing people wrong way. Um, so that's probably more what it is than just the eight and four, you know, losing four games in and of itself or eight and five, whatever it ended up being. I think it's more, you know, kind of the NFL stuff than anything, but yeah, I think, I think there's probably as with, as with anything on a message board, it goes a little <laughs> overboard, goes, goes a little bit, uh, goes, it goes all the way up to an 11 and we just want it down, but like right around a five or a six on the dial. Um, yeah. and it's, uh. Goes a little out of control. It's a challenge this time of year when when teams don't meet expectations. We're moderating the boards. You end up having to ban people and all this kind of stuff that's not very fun. You know, you don't want you don't want that to happen. But just it's kind of the nature of the business, I guess. All right, this is from Danny Y from Fountain Valley, David and Ryan. Love the show. Been listening since day one. Keep doing the great job that you are doing. Makes my daily two-hour commute bearable. Question is, what are the agents telling the NFL prospects to get them to quit school and sign early with them? Uh, the agents are uniformly, well, I wouldn't say uniformly, but most of them are lying to these kids. Uh, <laughs> or they don't know, or they just aren't very well informed and they're telling these kids they're going to be much better prospects than they are. They're offering them, you know, money or very, you know, very low interest loans to, you know, get started on all this stuff. And, um, it's generally a racket, and, you know, a lot of these kids get sucked in by it, especially I, – I think it's something that happens especially to kids in the L.A. area because they're so close to so many agents, and so many agents are around the UCLA and USC programs at all times, um, just in terms of alumni and various other people, that it's uh, it's something that I think is not unique to these two schools, but definitely, I think, more prevalent than at other schools. Um, so you'll have – I think more marginal decisions at both schools than you will at other places because they have so much noise in their ears at all times. Um, have you kind of seen that at USC? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, you see a lot of people make bad decisions. We saw George Farmer come out last year. He had like 30 career catches and he leaves and he's going to, you know, go to the NFL. And 
obviously you know it didn't work out all that well for him but did, i think agents are in these guys years i mean it's it's in their best interest it's like you know if you meet a real estate agent he wants to sell your house you know and you're an agent you know a, a sports agent wants to handle your contract and, and take a chance so he's not worried that it might be better for you to stay one more year i think a good agent would be like hey you know i, I think it'd be good i'd rather you stay and i'd love to handle you next year and i know there'll be a lot of people in your ear on the way but i think what's best for you is to stick around in school i mean i don't think you hear a lot about that um you know happening all that much so uh it's just it's weird if you counted up if you like if somehow you were flying the wall for every agent conversation um around and counted up the number of times number of players that agents said i think you're going to go in x round of the nfl draft uh you, you probably get like 60 people being told they're going to be a first round draft pick and there's only you know 32 picks or whatever so i i think there's a lot of i mean it might not be blatant lying but maybe they're being overly optimistic and um but it you know people want to make this that's your dream is to make it to the nfl and someone's telling you hey i think you can do it you're probably apt to listen to them yeah i i that's that's definitely a big part of it and he asked about some specifics regarding UCLA guys, and so it's can you speculate what kinds of things they would offer a bubble prospect like Alex Redmond versus a slam dunk prospect like Miles Jack? Is it all money? Is there some kind of training program? What else am I not thinking of? I, I would say it's mostly money um, for a lot of these kids, um, you know, and everyone's got a different circumstance where they, you know, need something or they, you know, need to get out quicker. Or, and some of them are, you know, maybe not entirely football related. Some of them are, you know, decisions that they're having to make based off of their family situation or what's going on with them. Um, so you'll see them, you know, not making like when you're a fan and you're judging a decision, you're like, well, you're not good enough to go in a top round. So you should go back to school. But it's it's not always that simple of a binary, you know, kind of decision. Um, there's a lot of other factors at play. Um, and I, in general, I would say it's probably a little um, naive to think that these agent conversations just suddenly crop up in December of these guys' junior years. Um, for the most part, I would say they're being contacted sometime after their freshman season if they played um, to, you know, gauge interest and that sort of thing. I would I would be stunned if these conversations aren't ongoing from a pretty early on point in most kids' careers if they're, you know, even a marginal NFL prospect. Yeah, I think there's you could tailor it for each kid where you're like Miles Jack or Sua Cravens or uh, Forrest Buckner, whoever you know, whoever you're talking about. Like those are guys who are like tons of production in college. It's easy to project them to be a high pick. It, that just kind of makes sense. And then there's other guys that have like kind of potential where like USC's tackle Zach Manner was going to come out. He was all Pac-12 first team. Um, but, you know, I didn't really heard a lot of buzz about him in the draft. But because he's so big, he's like 6'9", 350 pounds or whatever. Like, he could be more on potential as opposed to film and stuff like that. Like, So you can have guys that are maybe really fast or whatever that, that the agents can say, hey, you know, here's here's why. they you know, In the NFL, they're not drafting like the, the steady, never makes a mistake guy. They want the, the guy that can break through and has a lot of upside. So if you're really fast or really big or whatever – um, then there's potential there, and I think that's another way that the, you know if you don't have the same kind of production that a Miles Jack or someone has, you can be sold on the potential and what you could you know potentially be in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's well said. That's well said. Uh, we've got no more questions, Ryan. All right. Well, that's good because I, uh, I think we're done. I think yeah. So this I think was uh, 
hopefully the sound okay to you guys. We apologize. We're recording this a little different setup since I'm recording it in my uh, hotel room, and we got Dave like on an iPad somewhere off in who knows where. So a um, little different setup. A today. little different. A little different. Yeah. I'm sitting. I'm sitting actually in a closet, so my daughter will not harass me while I'm recording this. <laughs> But it's a nice walk-in closet. So that, that that's all that matters. Come right? out of the closet, Dave. <laughs> I will. Someday. All right. Well, hey, great stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll uh, we'll definitely get into recruiting. I think on the next show. So we'll try to line up uh, Biggins or Huffman or whoever. And so if you have any questions about your team recruiting-wise, definitely send them in. Uh, Packedwellpodcast at gmail dot com, and uh, we'll do our best to cover all the different teams, uh, recruiting and all that kind of stuff. What's going on there? All right. Sound good, Dave? Good stuff. Sweet. Sounds great. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. And everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast.